actually really love being in this church right now because it's not Instagram friendly, right? <laughs> like it's not, it's, it's a church. It's like, it reminds me of, I mean, it's church. It's church. That's right. We open this episode from the middle of a church with my good friend, Austin Klein. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the show. As I mentioned, my friend Austin Klein is the guest today. You're going to love the show. And if, if you forgot for, for half a second, this is the show, the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live, where I sit down with amazing humans and I do what I can to unpack their brain to help you live your goals and career, hobby, and life. That's what I'm doing with my man Austin Cleon. If for some crazy reason you're not familiar with Austin's work, he is the best-selling author of four books, I think. Three of them illustrated. Oh, wait. No, all four of them illustrated because he identifies himself as a a writer who draws. He does all his own illustrations. You can't. I can't wait for you to check out this book if you're not familiar with him. Uh, his first book, which turned me on to his work, was called Newspaper Blackout. Uh, you've probably seen those where someone clips out a newspaper article and then they black out all the words and leave a few of them exposed to make beautiful poetry. Uh, he was very early in that, and his first book shared that. Uh, and then he's done three books in a row. We talk about his fourth book today, which is called Keep Going. Book number one that you would know is called Steal Like an Artist. It's a very radical um, uh, where he talks about how, well, stealing like an artist. I'll just leave it at that. Second one, show your work about how he reveals his process and how valuable that is in building a fan base uh, and also in helping you figure out your own creativity. Uh, but today and in this beautiful church, we're recording. Uh, it was a collaboration between uh, Creative Life here in the, in the Chase Jarvis Live Show and the University of Washington Bookstore, uh, and they gave us this beautiful venue, uh, and you'll hear our, uh, both of us remark about it a couple times. But we talk about uh, his new book called Keep Going, which in the end, you've heard me say this so many times, that the most important thing for a creator or an entrepreneur is stamina. That's where his concept of keep going comes from. You just have to keep making, and it's in the act of making that you find your voice, that you find your path in this world, and you'll ultimately uh, find out what you're supposed to be doing, whether that's making a living in life or just having as a hobby. You'll find those. That's my phone alarm going off in the background. Um, but uh, just a beautiful and incredibly insightful conversation, all, of course, on behalf of Austin. He drops a bunch of zingers. We talk uh, about things that he does to get creative, like morning pages. He carries journals everywhere he goes. He has a stack of them. We talk about a stack of journals. He is a writer by trade, a writer who draws. So he has, uh, you'll hear him talk a lot about these daily exercises. In his case, it's drawing, but just the value of creating on a regular basis as a mechanism for unlocking your personal creativity. Um, we talk about paths. We talk about how to, in his case, write the book that, need, that he needed to read. In your case, that might be take the picture that you need to see. Um, he does a great job of extrapolating from his personal experiences uh, into a myriad of different um, of different artistic media. Uh, we talk a lot about photography, as you might imagine. He's he's got a very interesting framework for time. How time is such a powerful editor, both for us personally, something that matters in this moment right now might not matter ten minutes from now, but that actually might be a great way or a great reason rather to c capture, record, and share 
this particular moment because otherwise it's fleeting. He talks a lot about time. It's a very interesting theme throughout our conversation and throughout his uh, professional career of the books that I aforementioned. It's kind of funny. It's like four books aforementioned. Um, So with that, I'm going to get out the way and get into the show. But before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Enjoy. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits. And today, Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Life classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. Hey, y'all. Thanks for coming. Hi. Yes. <laughs> in the flesh. Uh, well, first of all, this is what they call in show business a twofer. Because we all get to uh, experience this today, and we're also recording this to share with uh, tens of thousands of people around the world. So clap loudly when it's time to clap, and laugh at Austin's jokes. No, honestly, yeah. uh, thank you so much for creating this work. Um, it's a treat to be able to talk to you about it and to share your wisdom with all the folks here. And can we just give him one more just shout-out for his work? Like. All right, this is our third, it's our third time through this. Third not, time's a charm. Not with this book. We've had the good fortune because he does have two other books, which I will, I will uh, try and I'll, I'll cover a little bit of that ground. First of all, though, um, keep going. Where did you get the title? Oh, geez. <laughs> I haven't been asked that yet. Uh, That's my job. Well, I like how dumb the title is. You know, <laughs> I like how simple it is. Um, this is a title that just was kind of there from the beginning. It just seems sort of obvious. I also like how my titles keep getting shorter. So it's like, <laughs> steal like an artist, show your work, keep going. What's the next one? Uh, done. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. No, but... but, but. Well, uh, let's talk about the spirit of keep going. Yeah. And you capture it in the book, and, and I want to know a little bit firsthand here from you. I just really wanted to quit a couple of years ago, you know, and it's funny because, like, I'm someone who encourages people, you know, that's, like, part of my job now. Um, but, uh, you know, a few years ago, it just felt like the world was on fire, and everyone I knew was sort of going nuts. They were distracted and distraught, 
And on the other side of that, I just felt like, what's the point of making work in this climate? Like, what, what can my work do in sort of the face of all this? And then also, do I want to do this? Because you sort of hit that point where you're like, am I going to do this indefinitely? Like, do, do I want to be... Don't have your fourth book called Done if you want to do it indefinitely. Exactly, right? <laughs> so, um, and I think, so Keep Going really was, it was the first book I wrote because I needed to read it. Um, you know, the other books were sort of, they had catalysts that were outside of me. You know, Still Like an Artist was a talk that I was asked to give. Show Your Work was an obvious sequel to Still Like an Artist, and it was based on questions that people asked me. And Keep Going is the first book where I was really like, I, I wanted to read this book because I felt like I needed it. And it felt different writing this one. It felt like it was, um, it felt a little more urgent. I used to make fun of people. Uh, they would come to me, like people would come up to me at readings sometimes and they'd say, I just feel like I have a book in me. And I'd say, that sounds really painful. <laughs> you, you should see a doctor, you know? Because usually books for me are, are like, um, they orbit, you know, they're, they're kind of like, it's like a bunch of space junk that's orbiting me and it's kind of colliding and turning into little moons and planets, you know, like chapters or like little moons that form out of the asteroid field or space junk or whatever. But this one felt a little internal, you know, it, 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 the, the urge was, was internal, but I think a lot of the stuff I had to kind of reach out and, you know, because so many of my books are, are based in my reading habit, you know, and, and I, I think that a big reason that I'm a writer is so I can be a professional reader, you know, because that's really what I, I just want to get paid to read all day. Awesome. Well, I, I have a few questions based on what you just said, but it, it reminded me that you all will probably develop questions throughout the course of the night. We will have a little Q&A session at the end. But I also want to encourage, we do have, a, there's a mic back there, and we, if you have a question, throw your hand up. I like to mix it up just a little bit. So feel free if he says something evocative, you want to jump in, and I will call on you. So, so don't hesitate to throw your hand in the air. Uh, going back to you, go, good sir. Uh, so if this was an internal piece of work, and it's called Keep Going, and you wanted to stop, why did you want to stop, and what allowed you to keep going? I'm a big believer in going away so you can come back. Like, I think that sometimes if you want to stop, you should stop. You should stop temporarily, you know? And so I was just, life got a lot better for me when I just didn't worry about the next book. I was just like, I don't know if there's going to be a next book or not. What I'm going to focus on is coming up with a process for creating new work indefinitely. So part of writing, and this is in the book too, um, part of the writing of Keep Going was about trying to find some sort of daily practice for myself in which I could just create work indefinitely. So one of the things I started doing is I started like a plain old diary, just like a daily diary, um, and I, just started doing the kind of Julia Cameron three morning pages thing and you know then it would turn into five or seven or ten you know depending on the day and 
so I started diarying or journaling or that's a weird verb. Diarying. Diary, diarrhea, <laughs> diarying, um, mental diarying, diarrhea. Um, ugh, that's awful. Um, but then the other thing that happened, that was private. What was helpful for me with starting a diary was because all of my work is so public now, I needed a place to just be um, private, to have bad ideas. Like, I think diaries are good places to have bad ideas. And I think that's what, the, that's the glory of notebooks, is that they're private spaces in which you can figure out what you have to say or what you have to put in, in the world. Um, but then I realized, you know, I needed a public outlet too. And that's when I went back to daily blogging. Because when I first started blogging, it was like an everyday thing. And the, and the game was every day you just like tried to figure out what you had to, um, to say, what you filled yeah. the thing with, you know. And once I went back to daily blogging and keeping a diary, everything loosened up for me. And the book just, it just became apparent like what the book was going to be. So keep, let's go one, well, I love what you talk about. You talk about creativity as a daily habit. So let's uncover that or peel that back a little bit further for us. You talk about having a journal. You talked about your, your, your practice. What more specifically, you talk about having a routine. You talk about the journey between your house and your studio, which yeah. is all of 10 feet. Yeah, but my 10-foot commute. Yeah, but, but walk us through that. I think that's, you know, part of why people show up to either listen to this podcast or show up here in person is because they want to know a little bit more behind just what's in the book. And so talk to us a little about your process. Well, I have, so to give you an idea of my life, so I have, um, my wife is home with our boys and I'm home with our boys. My boys are six and four. So anyone who's a parent knows like, that's insane. <laughs> It's an insane time. Um, and we are, we are about, like our parenting philosophy is the same philosophy I have as a creative person, which is there are very strict structures or, or, or routines, and then within that you can do what you want. So there's a strict bedtime, there's a strict like get up time, we, we do things at the same time every day and like everything's pretty tight that way, but then what, the things are, everything's at your fingertips then. So like, that's the same for me in the studio. Like it's, it's, it's a set time and, and it's, you go there and then you can do whatever you want while you're there, but you gotta be there. Um, what, what, what time is that time and where is there? So when, when life is normal, and I'm not on the road. Um, in Texas, you have to get out really early if you want to take a walk, and that's essential to us. So we get up really, we get up early in the morning. We might have some breakfast, and then um, we stick the kids in a stroller and take them out on the walk. And we do what, that. What time and how long do you? Well, let's, let's get, give me some detail here, bud. I'm trying to. These are um, these are essentials. Well, the boys get up at seven, and so I would say we go for the walk at like eight, come back at nine. And is this family discussion time? Like, what's the what gets you primed for the day? Well, the boys listen to music on headphones, and then my wife and I just talk the whole time, rant at each other, <laughs> uh, 
plan the day. I, you know, the film director, Ingmar Bergman, he said, you know, demons hate fresh air. So like, that's what we try to do. We try to like let the demons out when we're like on our walk and then um, let, those, let those out. And then we come back and then I work until lunch. So then I go out to the studio right afterwards, work until lunch and then we have lunch together. Owen goes to a half day kindergarten, so he gets on the bus. And then, um, you know, if I want to give my wife a break, I might hang out with our youngest for a while and we'll draw or make marble runs or whatever he wants to do. Sing wheels on the bus a hundred times. Or <laughs> actually, it's 10 in the bed. 10 in the bed is the thing that the four-year-old uh, is into. And then, um, in the afternoon, so I adhere to John Waters, make things up in the morning and sell them in the afternoon. So the afternoon is when I do administrative stuff. So like if I uh, have to make a phone call or email or whatever, you know, whatever business-wise yeah. needs to be done. And then if my plate's free, I, I might write, but I probably will just read. And then I keep banker hours, so like five o'clock, You're done. done and we eat together and put the kids to bed and then seven o'clock, watch TV and we usually go to bed at like 9.30 or something and I'll read until I fall asleep. So Chuck Close, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said basically if you only create when you're inspired, you're not gonna create very much work. Yeah. So how much of that routine, and you talked about writing in the morning, do you how, how much of your success do you attribute to just sitting down and sitting in front of the page and just moving your pen over the paper? I'd say all of it. I mean, I, you know, I get ideas when I'm doing other things, and that's why I, you know, that's why I have this with me all the time, you know, my pocket notebook. I, I mean, that that's one of the things that I've discovered with kids is it's like, it's great to play with kids because you get all these ideas and I just, I'm, I'm happy because I actually am able to capture them, you know? So I'm constantly scribbling stuff throughout the day, but then I don't do anything with the notebook until the morning. I wait until the next morning and then I look at my notebook and see what's interesting. And then I use that as a, I always have a starting point in the morning because there's always something interesting in my notebook to- ah, This is getting good. Right? Okay. So like, I always, I keep the notebook all day, and then I don't have to sit there and look at the blank page when I come to my diary, which is in a totally different notebook. I didn't bring that, of course, um, but um, it's back at the hotel. But um, I, I just, I, I'm, I really wanna make sure that I'm never like looking at a blank page, because I always have something to get started with. That's important. And if I don't have anything to get started with, sometimes that's when I'll make a collage. I do a lot of collaging yeah. in my notebook. Yeah, that was a question. So what, when you sit down and do the work, some is collage, some is newspaper blackout, some is yeah. drawing. Like, what's the mix and how do you decide? I just, that, that's the freedom. Like, that's the not planned part. That's the not knowing part, you know. I know I'm going to sit down, but um, I don't know necessarily what I'm going to do for sure. And so... Um, Collage is where I go when I'm bottomed out, like when I don't want to write and I don't want to draw yeah. and I don't really want to make anything up. Like collage is really like when I get ideas and 
It's also just a, I, I was making collages on the train here from Portland. I like to take the comics page and I like to cut the dialogue off of one comic and then stick it on another comic. That's like, that's like my version of the crossword puzzle, basically. And I actually think that way about a lot of the art that I do. Like, I think that the newspaper blackout work, which if y'all don't know, it's I take a, a newspaper article and I uh, circle a couple of words and form them into little funny phrases or sayings and then I black out the rest. It, it looks like if the CIA did haiku, basically. <laughs> um, but, you know, those kind of started as a way to like kind of kill time on my commute and like at, at lunch at my day job, you know, they were kind of, they, they were like writer's block exercises. And then my wife saw them and she was like, these are finished pieces, like you should put these on your blog. You know, and so I, um, you, it's important to have playtime. You know, like there's, it's important to do stuff that you're not really sure what it's gonna be or um, it's sort of like R&D time or something. You know, like you, you have to have time to just putter around as an artist um, because otherwise you won't find the next thing that you're supposed to do. Oh, you just used the word artist, so I'm gonna go back to your first book steal like an artist. Are you still, obviously that was a controversial phrase, borrowed from some other artists and aggregated into your own, but talk to me about how that, the role that that still plays in your work today, and, um, and yeah, just give me, give me a little, little bit of backstory there. Well, sometimes people come up to me at readings and they're like, steal like an artist changed my life, man. I'm like, cool, it changed mine too. You know, I mean, it was just, it was kind of, when I made Steel Like an Artist, I was 27. <laughs> um, and I think that book has the audacity of youth behind it. I, I couldn't write that book now. And I think people are like, what do you mean you couldn't write that book now? I, I couldn't write that book now because I'm, I'm a different me. Um, that's not to say that I don't love it and I stand behind it. It's just... You know, I think that book has that kind of youthful blast of energy that like a first album from a band has. It's, it's like, uh, you know, first albums of bands are great because they've had like 10 years of playing and writing music behind them. So like all the songs are really good, you know? <laughs> so Still Like an Artist was like that for me. It was like a buildup of everything I'd been doing for like 10 years. Um, and so, uh, that book now, I think, I, I think, you know, my only trouble with Steel Like an Artist is people forget the like an artist part. <laughs> you know, they just hear the word steal and they're like, oh cool, I can steal stuff. And it's like, that's not what the book is about. I actually think it's a very, um, you know, it's an ancient concept. It's right there in Ecclesiastes. You know, here we are in the Methodist church, like, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, you know, that, that's, and they stole, you know, the writer of Ecclesiastes stole that from the Egyptians, so like, you know, this is a very ancient idea, and I actually think that, I think the real, the thing about Steel Like an Artist is it's dressed up as this kind of hip, um, like kind of subversive looking book, but it's actually a very traditional message. Like it's what artists have always done. You study what came before you, you take little bits and pieces of the stuff you love, and you turn it into your, new th your own thing, something new that then, 
you know, it's like a big gumbo and you add your little bit to the mix, you know. So I actually think that Steel Like an Artist is a fairly, I mean, I think it's a tr traditional message. I think what it does is it's a book that the book operates based on the content. Like the message of the book is how the book works because it's this kind of mashup or collage of all these different ideas and stuff that I borrowed from other people. So, you know, I think, I think that's, it's weird. Like, um, what do you do with old books? Like, because when you finish them, it's like, that was you in the, they're like, books are like time machines, you know? They're almost like time capsules. They're crystallizations of thought at a certain moment, you know? And so it's sort of like, when I look at those books, it's like visiting me in the past, you know? So you still weird. look good, though. Yeah, you know, <laughs> oh. How, how many folks in the audience identify as a creator? As in you create something either in your part-time or a lot of hands. That's, I'm gonna put that at 80%. So a really popular question in these sorts of environments is like, what would some advice that you would give to your younger self? I'm not going to ask that question. I'm going to ask, what advice would you give to the 100 people that just raised their hand? <laughs> oh, man. Um, just like general advice. Uh, wow. <laughs> Brush your teeth. No, well, no, let I'm me get behind the pulpit here. Advice. You're telling them and to... Let me... <laughs> I think everyone just needs to go easier on themselves. I think we live in a culture right now in which if you're not doing something at every moment of the day, if you're not monetizing your time, if you're not being productive, if you're not churning it out, if you're not getting likes, if you're not getting retweets, blah, 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 blah. Like, everyone needs to just chill out, take a walk, take a breath, breathe in, and like, you know, I, you know life is not about you know, it's, it's about living. And creative work is supposed to make life better. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people that drive themselves nuts trying to make stuff, and that's not what it's supposed to be about. I mean, God, if we wanted to work all day, just become an accountant or something, and then you can quit at 5 o'clock, you know? I mean, I mean, if you just want to, like, I just... If there's not joy in the work, what joy is anyone going to get from it? You know, and I just think everyone just needs to take a step back and just breathe and think about what you really want to do with your time on this earth. Because that's, I think that's the thing for me that these chaotic times, it's so awful, but like it brings it, the message of human life has always been the same, is like, what are you going to do with your days? You know, like, how are you going to spend the time you get here? And I just think, like, you know, it becomes clear when you, when you really just empty your mind and you're like, what do I want to do? I just, I think it becomes clear. I think you know the answer. You're just, like, you're waiting for, you know, someone to say it's okay to, for that to be the answer. That's you know? what I was hoping you're doing to them right now. I Tom. mean, I hope so. I hope yeah. that, like, you've got that thing in the back of your mind that you're, like, this is what I want to do with my days. And like, I think whatever it is, it's like, I mean, maybe if it's drinking whiskey and watching House Hunters all day, I mean, maybe not. But, you know, that thing that you want to spend your time on that, you know, makes you feel alive, that's the thing to do. Whiskey and House Hunters. Yeah, that's seven <laughs> o'clock for me. 
Seven o'clock comes around, it's whiskey and house hunters time. My, lo my wife loves HGTV. She's probably gonna watch this. I shouldn't make fun of her. <laughs> seven in the morning is pretty early to start oh, with a whiskey. Seven p.m. Oh, okay. Seven p.m. Okay, good. We, yeah, twelve-hour days, <laughs> which is actually pretty. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's manageable. That's, uh, you know, the kids get up at seven; they go to bed at seven. You know, that's it. Talk to me and to the people listening and watching about airplane mode. So, airplane mode. This is a concept mode. that's in the book that you. Should, yeah, it's beautiful. So, I there's there's this um, there's an artist named Nina Kachadorian who I think the world of, and one of her projects is called Seat Assignment. And what she does is she takes these very long plane rides and she makes art out of whatever she packed for her trip and whatever's on the airplane. So she'll like take the in-flight magazine photos and like sprinkle salt on them and make like ghost images and then she'll photograph those with her camera phone. Or she'll like fold her sweater up into like gorilla faces and then take pictures of it. Or she'll like go in the bathroom and use the, um, the toilet seat covers and like toilet paper. She'll like make, um, she'll make her, herself into like in the style of old Flemish paintings and then she'll take selfies. So it's like she basically has figured out a way to take this device that, you know, kind of the, these little black rectangles we carry around now, that like, she's found a way to turn that into an art making machine instead of a distraction machine. And the key ingredient is airplane mode, right? You can't get a cell signal on the plane. And so I was thinking about it and I was like, airplane mode doesn't have to just be for the airplane. You know, airplane mode can be a way of life. And I think that, you know, if you want to get focused and, and really do your work, I mean, the easiest thing in the world to do is switch your plane into air, switch your phone into airplane mode. And you're immediately disconnected. And it's just like, it's a relief, you know? The minute you do it, it's so easy, but it's just like airplane mode, click. How much is uh, of that story is about doing what you can with what you have rather than false barriers to starting? Well, you know, Nina was a, a she was a um, student of Alan Kapral and, and Kapral talked about constraint, like constraint was a big, big deal to him as a teacher. And there, he was also a big proponent of taking what's in your everyday life and that's enough. Like whatever's around you is enough for your work. And I think this is, the, the equation for me is you take ordinary life and you add extra attention and you find the extraordinary. So you take the ordinary and you give it extra attention and that leads to the extraordinary. And if you think about like the history of 20th century art, I mean that, that was what a lot of it was. It's like you take a Campbell soup can and you point your attention at it and you change the world. You know, that's, that's it. And I think a lot of, I think art at its highest level is about, uh, you know, you figure out how to help other people see the world the, the way you do. So if you go to a David Hockney show and you spend a couple of hours with David Hockney's paintings, you come outside at the end and you see the world like David Hockney. And that's the magic. You know, that's, that's what it's about.
How do you want people to see the world after consuming your your book, Keep Going? I, you know, I think, um, I think with my books, I, I want, with Keep Going, I mean, I, I want them to think about time in, I, I want them to reconfigure themselves time-wise. Like, I, I, I think it's a book, I think fundamentally it's a book about time, because in the beginning of the book, it, it, it's like, hit the brakes. Don't worry about yesterday, don't worry about tomorrow, like, focus on today. It's, it's like the AA, you know, one day at a time thing. It's like, it's sort of like, um, the book sort of starts out like stopping the bleeding, you know, it's like, stop the bleeding, like focus on right now, focus on the day, focus on how you can get your days in order. And then by the end of the book, I'm talking about seasons and I'm talking about seasonal time and how, you know, creative careers have seasons, you know, and some of us bloom very early and then some of us bloom very late. And some of us bloom and then we bloom again and then we morph and mutate and, you know, some of us have five acts, you know. Um, and to know what your seasons are and to have that kind of, so, so, you know, the book starts out and you're like about the immediate, like time right now, like the day. But then by the end of the book, I'm asking you to think about the long term. And, and, and so I, I think it's a book I think it's a book about time uh, in a lot of ways. And I, I want people to realize that the day is all they've got in some ways, like today is all you have, but also to think, to, to have the perspective of time. Because I think when you start thinking, you know, big picture, it really puts things in perspective. All right, well, I'm gonna take a couple questions from the audience in just a second, so uh, prepare those questions. And I'm gonna go back to something you just mentioned, which is seasons. What season are you in right now? Well, the harvest is in right now, you know. I mean, not physically. The... <laughs> I mean, I know it's April. Yeah. Is I mean, April? Is that but right? The, yeah, April. But, you know, I mean... Um, As an artist, where are you as, in your, the arc? Uh, I mean, long term, I don't... I don't know. I, I, I'm supposed to know. Wait, man, I isn't guess. that a theme of the book you just wrote? I'm sp I guess I'm supposed to know. I don't <laughs> think of it in... I, you know, I think in terms of book cycles now. So, like, if you're a farmer, and if I'm a farmer, and, uh, like, the crop is in, and now I'm taking it to the farmer's market, you know, and, like, winter's coming, and I'm going to have to, you know... <laughs> You know, I mean, this is gonna, this tour will end eventually, and, and then I'll have to store up, and I'll have to, you know, re, re, you know, recalibrate. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm 35, so I'm not very old yet, but I'm old enough that things are kind of, I'm approaching, like, middle age, you know, so um, I'm, I, but I do think that with this book, I think the three books answer each other. I, I think they talk to each other. I do sort of think of them as a trilogy. So it is time for me to figure out like what's next. Um, but I just feel really grateful now because I just have this, I know what I'm gonna do tomorrow and I know what I'm gonna do the day after that. Like I just, I just know what I'm gonna do with my life now. I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna keep this notebook in my pocket and I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and I'm gonna write my diary and then I'm going to make a blog post, and I, if I do that enough, another book will show up, you know, and that's just going to be my life for a while. Are you scared about not having an understanding of what the next step is for you? 
I was before I wrote this, but now I know that if I work the way that works for me, and I think that's, that's what I want people to really take away from the book, is to find your way of working that sustains you indefinitely. Because once you find that, it will take you through, you know, and you might have to readjust at certain points, but to find a perpetual system for making work, I think, is, is just the most powerful thing. And, and this is why, you know, the real guardian spirits of the book were like, you know, I was watching all these documentaries about senior citizen artists, basically. Like, I was watching, um, you know, I was reading about David Hockney, and he was saying things like, I'll go on until I fall over. I was watching the Bill Cunningham documentary about how he'd hop on his bicycle and take pictures and, and way well into his 80s. You know, I was watching even the Joan Rivers documentary, you know, where she had her joke file. And Joan Rivers is interesting because she'd just blow her all her money and that kept her working because she had to keep making money. You know, she had her system down, you know. <laughs> um, so I was, just, I was just looking at these people and just thinking like, I just want to be one of these people. I just want to be, I want to get old if I can, if I can and I want to keep working. Beautiful. Uh, show of hands, I saw a couple of folks with a hand in the air just a second ago when I said a question. Anyone? Nothing, you want me to keep going? Yep, all right. Uh, so if we, we don't have anyone to run a mic, so if you would relay your question to me, I will speak it into the microphone so you don't have to get up. Please go ahead and ask. Hi. Well, first of all, tell us who you are. Hi, Rachel. recite for the folks who are listening at home. Rachel's question was, you've, you've talked at several times already about the notebook that you carry around with you. How do you, when you translate that to a more formal work or to another notebook or you sit down in the morning as you've described to us, and is there a world where you lose inspiration? You feel like that? that yeah, all, all the time. I mean, I'll find notes that I'm just like, what does this mean? I don't know. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, what, what is this? And, you know, I... I I just let it go, you know, because I figure if it's good enough, I would remember. Um, I think I think the reason I write the day after I take the notes, first of all, I stole that. You know, I'm not very original. Like, I, I, I uh, that was, um, uh, David Sedaris does that. That's how David Sedaris works. He just keeps a notebook all day, and then he writes in his diary the next morning. And there's something about time as an editor, like, Time is a great editor. It filters out the things that are worthy and worth not. I mean, you know that from taking photos. Yeah. It's like you don't know right away what's a great image until you come back to the image after 24 yeah. a week or maybe even a month. Yeah. And I've, I, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm not a good photographer, but I've noticed that some of the photos... You probably have experienced that. If, if, you're, if you're of the age where you took photos before digital, you'll go back through, you know, you used to get photos from the, the, the drugstore or whatever, and you'd put them in albums, but then you go back through the package and you'll find a great one yeah. that was in that package, and you're like, why didn't I put this in the album, you know? Um, and I also think photography is interesting because 
the, the things that are the most mundane in photos now will be the very thing you want to see in 50 years. You know, like some car now, you'll be like, ugh, that car's in the way. But like in 50 years, you'll want to see the car. Yeah, like if you had a picture of a Pinto right now, you'd be stoked. Right? right? Totally. But like in <laughs> 19s, whatever, it would have been a bummer. Awesome. Thank you, Rachel, for the question. question. If you have some other questions, go ahead and shoot your hand up. I'll come back to you. Um, in the meantime, so we touched a little bit on Steal Like an Artist. Let's go to show your work. Yeah. And as someone who's followed you since um, basically the internet, since you started writing in your blog, um, to me that was a really interesting uh, point in your career, just from my observations at a distance, and I want to know, I want you to either confirm or deny that that was a turning point for you because you had laid bare your style of working. Yeah. And now, do you feel like you're in a different mode there? Are you sharing more or less? Because it seems to me like you've actually, you're sharing a little bit, yeah, you tightened up a little bit. So where is that in your process from a concept and an actual practice? What I was trying to do and show your work is I was trying to unite the need for self-promotion um, with the need for making work. And they're very different beasts. And I was trying to find the thing that, you know, what I was trying to figure out, like, well, what does the artist care about that I think the audience cares about too? And how can you use that shared thing in the Venn diagram uh, to have, like, again, a system of promoting yourself. Um, and what I came up with was process. I felt like process is the thing that, you know, traditionally that's what you're supposed to keep hidden. You're not supposed to show anybody what you're working on. But I just think, you know, my, my generation in particular, it's like we were all raised on DVD extras and, like, behind-the-scenes footage and stuff. And I just think that, like when you follow an artist, how they work is really fascinating. And so I think that if you can find, the, the point of the book was, can you find little daily bits and pieces of your process that you can show people as you're working that doesn't take too much from the process itself? It's kind of a, a dancing act. You know, it's a, it's a dance. Um, and I think, I think what Show Your Work is also about is it's about learning in public. It's about kind of having the courage to share what you're learning and working on as you go. Um, I do think it was written in a more optimistic time for social media. I'm not sure if I would write, I, I think the principles are pretty much the same, but I think if I was gonna rewrite it now, I might focus on um, more community-based platforms for sharing. Like, I think the way people have um, patrons now, the, is that how you say it, or Patreon? Patreon. Patreon accounts, like, people will give them a little bit of money, and then they'll send them updates as you go, or I think newsletters are great places to share. You know, just, just platforms in which strangers can't, like, yell at you as much as, you know. <laughs> but um, I think fundamentally the idea that sharing your process is incredibly powerful as a marketing device. I think that's still, I still really believe in that. Why? Not why do you believe, why is it powerful? I think when people actually see the work that goes into what you do, I think it makes the work more valuable. 
I think there's a lot of creative work that people are like, oh, well, you just, you must just like come up with something and splatter it on the canvas. You know, I think there's, I think when you do skilled work, um, there's a lot that goes into it that people just don't see. And I think that it adds a lot of value. I think it actually, I think seeing the sausage get made, if the process is good and the sausage is tasty, you know, I think it, I think it, you know, I think, and the perfect example, I think, is um, uh, Aaron Franklin, who runs Franklin Barbecue in Austin. When I was writing Show Your Work, he was working on a show where he took people through every stage of the barbecue process. And I just thought, this is barbecue. Isn't this about, like, secret sauce and, like, secrets of the trade and stuff? And he was like, dude, this is smoking meat. You know, he's like, and I can show you how to do it, but it's going to take you 10 years to be able to do it yourself. And by the time you see all that goes into making a Franklin brisket, you'll pay the $20 a pound that he's charging, you know? Do you remember that was the last time we were together? We were eating Franklin barbecue in <laughs> Austin. <laughs> yeah. That's how much he really likes it. No, I think there's a, um, Debbie Millman tells a story, and you're friends with Debbie, who's also yeah. a fantastic designer, about, uh, I think it was maybe Polish Air. She designed one of the fancy logos, maybe Citibank or Visa yeah. or something. And she did it in like two minutes on a nap, like literally a napkin, yeah. and charged, I'm, I'm maybe paraphrasing a little bit here, but charged a very substantial fee, as one should. And someone said, well, it took you two minutes to do that. And she said, yeah, two minutes and 34 years. Yeah. And I, yeah, and there's a, a yeah, there, that story gets told in many forms. There's also like, oh, Picasso's in a, you know, a, a, there's another way that story goes where it's like Picasso's in a park and some lady asks him for a doodle of her dog and he makes it, you know, whips it out. And, and she says, you know, oh, that's so great. He says, you know, $5,000 or whatever. <laughs> Ma Madam, it's taken, and she said, well, it took you a second to, you know, draw this. Madam, it's taken me my whole life, you know. So that's, Sounds very Picasso. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we're going to go to a question okay. in the audience here. That'd be great. And we've got a microphone coming at you. <clears throat> be there in three, two, one. And first thing, tell us who you are. Hi, my name is Pam. Can Awesome. Thank can you, you stand up and, oh, so we can see and hear you? Awesome. Hi. Um, I have a question about this current book. You said that you wrote this book because you, you wrote this book because you needed it. Is there anything that you discovered as you were writing it that, you, that was a surprise to you? Like, oh, I didn't know I thought that. Oh, um, gosh. I, I think, you know, the biggest thing that I discovered, I think... I hope this isn't a cop-out answer. It's just that, like, I really love doing this. Like, I'm really, like, I just, I've gone through this thing now where I'm, like, writing books isn't a burden for me anymore. I mean, it's, like, what I want to do with my life. I mean, it's what I've always wanted to do. And it's, like, this one just, it, it just, I felt like I knew what I was doing. You know, that doesn't mean it was easy. It just, I just, I was like, this is what you're supposed to do, you know? And I'd been waiting for that feeling. You know, I'd been waiting for that feeling like you're supposed to do this. And um, I think that was the biggest surprise to me. Because, you know, I've got confidence issues just like anyone else. You know, I feel like a phony all the time. You know, that doesn't end. People talk about imposter syndrome. It's like, it never ends. You're always waiting for someone to pound on the door. It's the police. We're taking it all back. 
you know? You fraud. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that was the big shocker for me is it's like, you know, I can do this, man. This is like, this is the show. We're doing it. You know, it's like lacing up and getting back on the court or something, you know? It's like, we're doing this. So that was fun. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's it. Awesome. Great question. Thank you for sharing. And, and if you have others, please throw your hand up in the air. We've got one in uh, four rows back there. If we can pass the mic over, that would be awesome. Put your hand up, or stand up even better. And please, again, tell us who you are and let us welcome you. Hey, my name is Luke, and I have two questions, so you can pick your favorite one, maybe. Uh, <laughs> you are physically present here, which is awesome. And we live in the world of the internet, which you utilize wonderfully. And so I'm just curious to see how you reconcile and value being in Seattle, or anywhere for that matter, and then the second question would be, you're 35, what advice do you have for somebody who's a younger artist to make money? Oh. And to be yeah. really transparent about that, to eat something other than ramen. Yeah. <laughs> awesome question. Thank you, Luke. I am probably not the most inspiring person when it comes to making money because I, my heroes all had day jobs. You know, like when I started out, I wanted to be a poet. And poets don't make money, you know? So like, William Carlos Williams was a doctor. You know, um, Philip Larkin ran a library. Um, Wallace Stevens ran the insurance company, you know? So I really felt like I would always have a day job. Um, and you know, the lottery ticket came in, and here we are, you know, but it could go away, too. I mean, you know, they take away the ACA, and I don't have health insurance, and what do I do? I mean, if, I mean, you know, I might take a job, because I got three people that need me to, you know. So, um, I think, you know, that's always in the back of my mind, I mean, that this, this could end, and I'll have to do something else. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not the most inspiring person when it comes to um, money. I, I've always felt like um, there's always going to be something that makes the money. The, the, I feel like every artist has something that, like, it's very rare for you to do, like, raw art and really make money. You know, there's always, like, some sort of, like, hustle aspect. My friend Hugh McLeod calls it the sex and cash theory, whereas, like, there's the sexy part, and that's the fun part, but then there's always, like, the cash part that, like, actually makes all the money. So I've always felt like if you want to be really weird and wild in your art, then you got to get it subsidized somehow, and the easiest way to do that is to have, like, a, a side gig or a day job. But your first question was more, uh, is, is really interesting to me. What is the role of place? Um, we're in this weird time now where the internet has really changed a lot of the design of our spaces and that every freaking store looks the same in every city now. I have a, I have, you, you follow, you probably like follow people online where they travel to a different city and they find the store that looks exactly like the city they were just in, the white walls with like the wood, like Instagrammy. I actually really love being in this church right now because 
it's not Instagram friendly, right? <laughs> like it's not, it's, it's a church. It's like, it reminds me of, I mean, it's church. it's church, you know? And, it's, and it is what it's supposed to be. And so these, these spaces are sort of disappearing. Like we were, in, we were in that complex where the Amazon store is, the bookstore, and it just looks like every other complex in, a, in like a new development, you know? And it's cool, it looks flashy and stuff, but it's like, it doesn't have the same, like look at the exit signs in this church, you know? It's just like, it's just like an over here, it's just like, we're losing some of that local flavor, and so it's, it's weird. Um, I think that's why people like ruin porn, you know what I'm saying? Like all those photos of like Detroit and like Cleveland where stuff is like bombed out and stuff. I think people like that because like those spaces are kind of disappearing with in, in cities like Seattle, which are doing so well economically, well, for certain people, right? I mean, but it's, it's interesting to try to find these spaces. I think in... Um, you know, we were talking before you we went on in Seattle about how you can always see water here and what a wonderful thing that is, like, wherever you are in the city. And it's fun to find the character in cities because it's disappearing. I mean, we're really, it's, I think the internet has homogenized culture in a way that's really depressing. It was supposed, in the beginning, the internet was like, hey, find the other freaks like you, right? Because, like, you get on a chat room for weirdos and all the other weirdos showed up, you know. But, you know, now it's kind of this mass culture and I'm wondering, I, I personally think that kids right now, I mean, I guess kids just play Fortnite or whatever, I don't really understand it, but like, um, I think if you really wanted to be subversive right now as a kid, you'd start some sort of club that didn't have any kind of social media presence you know, you start some sort of club where you like hung out and did whatever and didn't tell anyone about it. <laughs> that seems really subversive to me now, right? <laughs> Doing something super private. I'm gonna drill in just a little bit further because I, I really appreciated both those questions on the physicality. W let's go one level deeper. What is it you being in this place with people who showed up oh. as opposed to just communicating digitally? Does it resonant? Is it scarier? Is it safer? How do you feel? Well, you can see people falling asleep. <laughs> and then you can see people laughing. You know, it's immediate. It's human. We're all here together. And, like, later on, I'll, we'll talk. I'll sign books. And, like, you can't, you can't replace this, you know. Um, and this is what we have. I mean, this is all we've got, really. I mean, because the other stuff isn't really real. I just, um, and I think that it's weird because we're taping this, and this will be online, so like. Did you say tape? Are we, ta yeah. <laughs> Anyone have any tape? Uh, but it's, I don't know. I mean, like, the space between human beings is, that's what, and I, I think, I really think, it's interesting because so much, I, I grew up in a Methodist church, so I'm having this moment right now of like, I mean, I hated getting drugged to church every, every week, but I'm remembering now what it was like to stand up and sing together and like, uh, and to hear the choir and to, you know, and to be in the same space with people. 
You know, I mean, this, these are things that, like, you just can't replicate. Um, so I think it's cool. That's beautiful. We're going to go to the second question, too, or maybe it was the first one. I forgot the order now, but I think it was the first one. Making money. I think you glossed over a little bit, and I want to drill deeper. Like, okay. uh, Presumably, you want to know how to make more money. Is this right? <laughs> He's big nod from Luke. Okay. So... You have a process. You were you discovered? Did you seek publishers? I want to. Is this? Is this? Yep. He's nodding. He was like, "I want to know more." So how did how did it work for you? And what do you recommend for him? I I I really you know my agent would love me to write the money book like for creative people. I just I I don't I don't have a lot of advice for money. Like people do it better than I do. I think you play to your strengths. I just was like. My thing in the beginning was like, I can afford some web space, so I can have my domain name, and I can have my website, and I fund that, and I was just like, this is the show. If people show up, they show up. You know, when I did Newspaper Blackout, an, an editor asked me if I wanted to do that book. When Steal Like an Artist, Steal Like an Artist, when that went viral, I had an agent that I had already kind of talked to, and I said, do you want to help me do this? You know, but um, I just didn't, I didn't go after it the way that, that I could have, but that's just my style, you know, so I just don't have, like, I just don't have a lot of advice for money. Is it fair if I summarize, can you nod at least if you're not going to give me more advice? The, the, the summary is, if you're, just, if you're doing your thing and you're doing what you say, steal like an artist, and you're showing your work and you continue going, you keep going... Is that the formula that you've adopted? Or is I, it something different? I, you know, I think that's the formula for doing meaningful work. I mean, I think that's the formula for, for making your art. That's the formula for, for having a meaningful creative life. I don't know if it's the path to making money. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I mean a lot of my heroes died penniless, so I don't, you know... Yeah, be careful what you wish for. I mean, Thoreau <laughs> didn't die with a bunch of money, you know? I mean, Emily Dickinson, I don't think, had a... You know, I mean, a lot of these people... David Hockney's filthy rich, but, you know. <laughs> okay, we've got about uh, somewhere between five and ten minutes, so we're going to accelerate the questions. Uh, go ahead and put your hands up. I'm going to just know that you've got a couple. I'm, I'm spotting you out in the crowd. I'm going to come back to you. I got... I wanted to go back to some inspiration. You've mentioned to several people through the course of our conversation, you're, you're, you're so good at reciting quotes and names, and who are you paying attention to right now? Whose email newsletter? Because we were talking about that before we went on stage, and you've mentioned it a couple times here. Share so that we can also subscribe. I mean, I, I pay attention to women. I just think, like, I, I think... There are some, I, I, I tend to think that the most thoughtful writers right now are women. I, I, and as far as newsletters go, um, I like Ann Friedman's newsletter a lot. It's a fun, it's a fun one. But then I, I have some people that I follow that, you know, you might not have heard of. Um, That's what I'm looking there's for. There's some, uh, I don't know. I mean. I don't want you to, if, you, if you're reluctant I, to I name names. I listen to dead people. <laughs> really, who wants to read an email newsletter? I mean, like, yeah, there's a few newsletters that are okay, but like, read dead people, you know? That's who I listen to. Like, uh, one of the people that I think everyone in this room should read because you live in a city where technology is like, 
this is like the heart of a lot of technologies, you should read Ursula Franklin's The Real World of Technology because that was a book that really influenced this book. She was a feminist, metallurgist woman who wrote, a Quaker, who did these series of lectures. She was Canadian, and she wrote these series of lectures about technology, and they are just still really great. And she really influenced me. Tove Janssen, um, who did The Moomins. The Moomins are sort of what I want my family to be like. Um, <laughs> Henry David Thoreau, I think people roll their eyes at Thoreau, but like if you read Thoreau's journals, he's like, he lives with his parents, he's overeducated, he's upset about the government, he loves plants. He's basically a millennial. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> the, the, the dead left us this stuff. We are lucky enough to have this it, life wasn't that different. You know, Thoreau used to complain about reading a weekly newspaper. And he said, you know, I, this, I can't read this weekly newspaper. It's taken me away from my walks. Like, I can't concentrate. You know, Gertrude Stein was like, we get so much information all day that we lose our sense. You know, I mean, there's, there, people have, everything that you are struggling with right now, some dead person went through it and they probably wrote about it. You know, there is wisdom out there. That's why you gotta read books that are more than five years, 25 years old. You gotta go past the latest, you know, article. But dead people, that's who I listen to. Or we'll, we'll get your book. Or get my book, because yeah. there's a bunch of dead people in there. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a question from the front row here. And then I'm going to come over here to, there was one over there. Yep, thank you. There's two more over there. Great. It's like an auction. And do I have to? Good, sir. My name is Casey, and I have four kids, and I'm 37. And you're uh, upright, so you're doing great. So give a hand to Casey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. All in this together, folks. Um, for those of us who have day jobs and side hustles and all these projects and stuff that we're working on and we have difficulty in finding and making time to be creative without pressure or the within constraints but without the the pressure of having to make money for it how do you how do you make time and find time to be creative when you have four kids and five clients to juggle lower your standards i mean I, I just, I mean, there's only so much to do. And it's like, you prioritize. And for me, my kids are much more important to me than my work. I mean, they just are. And they're not going to be kids forever. And I, I want them to see me working because I want them to know what it's like to be around an adult who does... Uh, does meaningful work. Because I feel like, you know, when you're around that, you can't, I think kids need to be in the presence of adults working. Like I think one of the things I don't like about school is that you're in a room full of a bunch of other kids and you're not really in the world. I think a lot more kids could benefit from being around people that work. I mean, the problem is, is that a lot of us don't do work that seems very, I mean, what are you gonna do, sit next to me at my desk in my, yeah, you know, so that's why I love, I mean, I personally feel really lucky because 
you know, I do things that, like, my son Owen can observe. Like, he can see me. That's why I write my notebook. I don't use the computer. Like, I want him to see me. We try to read physical books in the house, you know, because I want him to see me doing something. You know what I mean? That's, uh, so I, I just feel like, um, I think one way to do uh, creative work it, with kids is to parallel play is to figure out how you can play together in the same room. And so if you can come up with some sort of project where you can do while you're still hanging out together. So I bring Owen in the studio with me, and I have since he was really little. And he was in the studio with me. Uh, and it's funny, he was in the studio with me when I was writing this book, and he was doing his thing, and I was doing mine, and I said, okay, honey, it's time to go inside and have dinner. And he said, what did you work on today, Papa? And I was like, what do you mean, dude? I was working on the book. And he's like, I've been working on for the past two months. He said, didn't look like you were working on a book. Looked like you were working on your computer. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know. But um, I just think as much as you can, like, just try to figure out a way to integrate it. Although sometimes you need that time away from the kids. And so maybe the answer is to get up real early before they're up even or stay up late. I don't know. Four kids, yeah. No, I get up at four. You get up at four? Then, I mean, dude, you sound like you're doing it right. Like, oh, man, you don't need my help. I got two. <laughs> four, I'm like, oh, <laughs> bless you. Thank you very much. Good. We're going to shift over here. We've got uh, the lady right there with her hand up. Yep, please stand up. Tell us who you are. Hi, I'm Teresa, and I'm also an author. And my question is actually more for Chase, but... Um, and it, it's great that it piggybacks off his. I don't have any kids, but I still don't have time. So I have a full-time job. I work 10-hour days. And I have a million ideas. I have literally 29 books I want to write before I die so far. And I've published three, but I still have, like I said, 29. I've got inventions. I've got business, brick and, book and, uh, brick and mortar places I want to do. I have so many creative things. So my question is... How do you focus? And, and more for Chase, you, you went from photographer to creative live. I look at, I, I can't even look at the creative live thing because I see all these classes I want to take and I get so excited. I'm like, I want to do that, I want to do that. And I literally have bought so many classes. That well, thank you. <laughs> because I get so excited. And, and I went to Photo Week and, and just being around those creative people at Photo Week. I mean, I just, I felt like I was vibrating being around all these creative people. And, and, then I see keep going, I'm like, I'm going to go crazy with all my ideas. So taking a step back and stopping to focus without sounding, I mean, is there any non-cliche answer to focusing? I hate when somebody says, well, do one thing until it's done and then do the next thing. I can't. That's what you need to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> I just, you hate it because it's the truth. Yeah. I mean, you hate it because it's the truth. I mean, you got to pick the, the most important, you got to look at the 29, and I'm going to do that one until it's done. Or pick two and procrastinate, you know, on one <laughs> with the other. I mean, I, I think, like, this is really interesting to me because I don't have any ideas, <laughs> right? Like, I've got the opposite problem. Like, I don't have any ideas. I'm looking for an idea to work on, right? Like, I, I don't go around with a bunch of ideas for projects, so it's always interesting to me to hear that. 
I, I mean, you probably, you, I, it sounds like maybe you've got better advice. No. I just, you gotta, like, I mean, pick one. Like, what's the one? For me, like, the thing that blew my mind, uh, you know, you asked earlier what I learned in this, uh, on this book. Um, the Annie Dillard thing, where she says, spend it all. She's like, spend it all right now. Like, whatever you're working on right now, just spend it all, because it'll regenerate. Like, and I, that was this book. I was like, I'm throwing everything in here. Like, I'm just going for it. I'm not holding, oh, I'll save that for the other book. I was like, nope, it's going in this one. And um, I think, like, you need to pick the one that you've got to do next, and you spend it all, and then you get, do the next one. I, I know that's not what you want to hear, but, like, I just think, like, that's what people are telling you, and, like, that's... That's what we've all got to do. We got to pick the one thing, you know. You yeah. pick the kid, like, you know, you got to prioritize. Tough love here. I don't know. I think it's it's actually a fear mechanism. That is, if you do half of a lot of things and you do nothing completely, and then you can never be judged for that work that you put out there. And so, my heartfelt advice to you is: listen to what Austin said, and try because that's the hard stuff. Ideas, what is it, you know, ideas are cheap and abundant, execution is everything, and the ability to carry a book from concept to completion. I can't, you know, the circles under my eyes, those dark circles, that's from Creative Live. But you've done three, so I mean, you know you can do another one, just do it, and then yeah. do another one after that. Yeah, and, and that's, to, there, there's a momentum when you find that you can actually carry an idea and be successful and get it out in the world, regardless of how it's received. If success is defined as completion of an idea, that's what it feels like to be a creator. And repeat. All right, we got time for, uh, we're gonna go to that question and then one more after it. So, uh, oh, you were quick on the draw over there. It's gonna go to you, fine sir. But before then, please stand up, share us with your name and, and ask Austin a question. Hi, my name's Luis. Uh, quick shout out to Luke um, for his question. Um, from Timber Tax, he's always shows up in the community. He's a great, uh, tax accountant, if you're creative in this world, <laughs> see this guy, he's right. the man. Yeah. It's the right season for that. That's right. I'm surprised he's here. you got a bunch of creatives, and, you're going to make hundreds. And, and, and upright, and, and yeah. Um, but my question is, um, we have, uh, Austin, you and Chase have had several conversations over your books over the years with Chase Jarvis Live podcast. Um, it's been great, and now here tonight, do you have any question that you would ask Chase um, in the spirit of your most recent book or any other thing you've had? I could ask him, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> um, how did you pick where you live? My dad went to Ballard High School about 10 blocks from here. Yeah. Like, I, I, and, and reality is I travel a lot for my living, you know, as yeah. a photographer and, and with Creative Live, both those involve a lot of travel. I get to see a lot of places. I just, I, I truly love it here. It's a great mix. Well, That's people, why I ask, because I know you love it here. Yeah, crazy people moved west, and then even crazier people went north from there. Yep. And so, like, the people who ended up here, yeah. I really like those. These are my people. I mean, you had to be crazy if you weren't here or if you weren't a native. Yeah. I mean, you had to be crazy to come to this continent anyway. Yeah, for sure. And then Alaska is just too much. You don't go all the way up there. Uh, you know, I, I, I thank you for, for acknowledging that, that, that we do have a lot of other conversations. I appreciated you for saying that 
if you want to know more about my work, look at this interview that we'd done a long time ago. Yeah. Part of what you do so well is articulate in very plain English what's going on in your head and your heart and sharing it with you, with us. So this book is a magnificent display of that. It's so simple and honest and like just exactly like the questions that you've uh, answered tonight. So I want to say thank you for that. And then I do want to go to one last question before we break for... Uh, book signing because we're at an hour um, and it's this gentleman right here with the uh, glasses standing up excellent remind us who you are and fire off a question for Austin uh, my name is Jeffrey and uh, my question for you it has to do with all of the undoneness um, I'm a creative entrepreneur and I just feel burdened by all the things that are undone and I was actually just reading a couple of pages like the first pages in your book and I think you get to it but I was curious how do you carry the weight of all the things that are undone and stay present in the things that you're supposed to be working on each day when you know that that list is always going to have undone things on it? Yeah. Um, I, oh, man. Uh, I, you know, getting things done is a classic for a reason. The David Allen book, like, I, that was kind of an influence. I think that's in the back of that book. Um, I went, you know, you get skeptical bestsellers. You know, you get skeptical books that everyone reads because you're like, I mean, people tell me that about Steel Like an Artist. A guy actually told me that about Steel Like an Artist today. I did this podcast interview. And he's like, yeah, I figured that book sucked. And then enough people told me about it and I read it and I liked it. Um, but I have to admit, I found David Allen's uh, Getting Things Done in a Goodwill for a dollar. And um, I picked it up and it's much more zen than I thought. I mean, it's it's not just like a... He looks so buttoned up on the cover, like he looks just like a business guy. But it's very, like, zen, and it's very much about, like, prioritizing so you have time to work on what you want to work on. And he is a big... He's a guy who has, like... He's, like, keep different lists. So, like, keep your undone stuff on one list and write it down so it's there on the list, but then put that list away and then have the list for today. You know, I'm a writer, so I believe in the power of writing things down and, like, you know, getting stuff out of your head. That, that's really the big point of David Allen's book, actually, is that you get things out of your head and you get it on paper so that it's not in your head anymore. It's somewhere else where you know you can get at it. So I would suggest maybe keeping... Keep an undone list and put it on the page and then say, it's on here so I don't have to think about it and then write a list for today and do that. That's my advice. Wouldn't that be a super long list? The undone list? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, all the, because life is about what you're not going to do, right? I mean, That's the wisdom. every choice you make, you've chosen not to do everything else. When you choose to do that book, that next book, you're choosing what not to do, you know? And that's, you know, that's one of the messages of Steel Like an Artist. Creativity is subtraction. You choose what's important and choose what to leave out because you only get so much time. And that's how you do your work. Last question for the night is, uh, coincides with the last chapter of the book of, of Keep Going, which is about planting your garden. Yeah. What are you doing right now to plant your garden? Um, 
I'm raising my kids. You know, they're, they're, they'll outlast me. They might outlast these books. Um, I'm trying to, you know, just... They're, you know, people ask me about legacy. It's like, well, I got two of them walking around, you know, now. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to put work in the world that I think will last. You know, our, our friend Ryan Holiday talks about perennial stuff. I, I really want to, I, I, want, I want these books to stand up to time, you know. I'm trying to make things that last the same way that I'm trying to raise little adults that can be hardy, you know, in the world. Um, but I think I'm just trying to, um, I'm really not, I hate the vandalism metaphors that we use for creative work, like make your mark, put a dent in the universe, move fast and break things. Like I just, this is like the cosmic purpose of humans is vandalism, you know? I don't, I want, I want to, make work that unites things, that heals stuff up, that, you know, mends or tidies. And I feel like a lot of these books are just taking these ideas that should be together and putting them in together. And, and um, I think that my work as, when I do the newsletter, when I blog and stuff, I'm just trying to put people in touch with these ideas that should be together, you know. And that's what I'm trying to do. No better way. I want to say thank you to the University of Washington. Thanks for being on the show, bud. Round of applause for Mr. Austin Cleon. Woo! Thank you very much. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn so check that out they're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet all right until again uh, probably tomorrow i hope i'll hear you i'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and i'll look for your comments on the internets bye <laughs>